shared this story before, but it was one of the first moments in my life where I remember I intentionally defied the authority of my life outside of my parents or grandparents. Um, we were um, outside of school, and we were walking around, and we were having those moments where you're supposed to be quiet, not touching others, and um, just trying to observe some things. And as we walked along, there was these steel drain covers. I don't know if you can see those there in the picture, but um, if you happened to step on one of those it made a noise but if you happened to jump on one it was like really loud and um so a few perpetrators had already happened and the, the warning was clear the next person did it was to be some severe discipline and um and so in a few moments i came face to face with one of those bad boys and it was one of those moments where you realize hey am i going to exercise my own authority or am i going to submit to that authority the teacher of my life and i made the decision to exercise my own authority and with both feet bam Right, some of you teachers just like shook right then, right? Yeah, I'll never forget. The, it was kindergarten, right? So early on, um, I was manifesting my my center uh, mentality, heart, heart, um, and I'll never forget just turning around that look, right? It, she just kind of like gave me a slow mo, like, "Did you just really do that?" And soon I found myself to the front of the line, and then I found myself in a secure location where, in that day and time, they would bring the paddle to your honey, and um, and so. That was what happened. I, I think, though, it reminds us. I share that story because I think we all struggle with authority. Um, today, we're going to hear it as we continue our time here in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to now make our way into chapter 9 and look at the first 17 verses and hear about Jesus' authority. And I think that as we look at this, the reality is it started back in the garden, right, with Adam and Eve. Sorry. Well, back in the garden with Adam and Eve. And that moment when Satan began to ask them, did God really say? Right, that question of, man, are you gonna are you gonna respond to his authority and submission and worship, or are you gonna exercise your own authority? And with that moment, right, when they rebelled against God and exercised their own authority, um, we we've been in rebellion ever since. Right? I mean, kiddos, you're in rebellion against your parents, right? I mean, they say, Hey, go to bed or right now maybe they're telling you to sit still or be quiet, or maybe they're asking you to eat the rest of that fruit or vegetable that's on your plate or Man, the reality is uh, we find ourselves in rebellion against our government, don't we? Like, I, I don't know about you, but when the speed limit says 55, like, I struggle to stay at 55, right? Uh, others of you, I mean, you just got moments probably at school when teachers tell you to sit still, be quiet, do your work, don't jump on the drain cover, right? You just have moments when you just just, just want to rebel, like you just don't want to follow Maybe for some of you, like it's just bosses or supervisors walk in and say, this is our new protocol. This is how we're going to do things now. And man, you just like, ah, I hate this idea. Why are we doing this? And so we all just struggle, don't we, with authority? And I think the trouble is, is because we feel like authority is really not about our good. It's about someone else's. And that's what I think we're going to find is unique about Jesus today. Jesus exercised his authority for his glory, but also for our good. Jesus is going to exercise his authority for his glory and for your good. And it brings us to this place today to say, listen, this is a beautiful moment of him exercising authority over disease and sin. But then he's going to remarkably show us that he exercises his authority by showing mercy. So let's look today and hear Jesus show us his authority through healing, through mercy, and by bringing the kingdom here in Matthew chapter 9. The first one is Jesus displays his authority through healing. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus comes there. It begins in verse 1 to his own city, and then it picks up and says, verse 2. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, 
Take heart, my son, your what? Sins are forgiven. Now let's, let's consider that for a moment, right? Because I think it seems, it's, it's a strange statement, right? I mean, because again, consider the context. The friends are bringing to them a paralyzed man lying on a bed. Okay, so my assumption is that's not the reason they came to Jesus. In fact, if you look there at verse 2, look what it says. And when Jesus saw what? Their what? Their faith. He says to the paralytic, surely says, my son, rise up and walk. Right? I mean, that's what we expect. That's why they come. They've come to him to receive healing, and they even have faith. So it indicates that they've obviously heard that Jesus is some miracle worker, and he can do miraculous things. So they've come to him for that reason. But Jesus says to this man, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. I think it's a reminder to us, as we're going to see in this moment, that our greatest need is beyond your physical healing your soul beloved you need the healing of your soul but we need to maybe ask in this moment is is why is jesus forgiving sins because only god alone can forgive sins i mean in psalm 51 brother todd shared it last week where he he cries out there in verse 12 david restore to me the joy of your salvation in verse 4 david makes this confession you remember david this is the background of psalm 51 if you don't know it's been roughly about a year since he's committed adultery with bathsheba he's now had her husband killed he's considered a, a cover-up of that he's lying trying to deceive that that's what's happened taking place and then he makes this statement in verse 4 of psalm 51 against you and you only have i sinned does that mean he's minimizing what's happened with bathsheba or what he's done to uriah or how he's had he's put other people in the military to have uriah killed no he is saying that listen the, this offense is to be forgiven then the the ultimate offended party must forgive them Think about this, right? Think about it. Make this make sense. Let's imagine that you go out with your child, you take them to the park, and your child walks over and just absolutely tags some other kid, right? Smacks them, throws rocks at them, whatever. In your hope to try to smooth things over, you run to your child who's just done this and said, hey, listen, I forgive you. Does that work? No, it doesn't really mean much. Why? Because the person who has been offended needs to offer the forgiveness, don't they? I mean, that other child needs to be the one to go and say, I forgive you. Guess what? It's in the same way when it comes to our sin. Our sin is ultimately against God. And so therefore, God is the offended party. And thus, we must come to him and ask for forgiveness. And that brings us to our point here. If Jesus is saying, son, your sins are forgiven, then Jesus is declaring to be who? God. I mean, it's an interesting way in which this story unfolds because again we would expect that jesus would first heal the man and then offer forgiveness but what he does in this moment is he first forgives sins so now there's a tension that's lying there in the text does he have the authority does he have the power to do this maybe also like i would just ask for this moment like when he says that statement take heart my son your sins are forgiven is jesus saying that his sins are connected or his paralysis is connected to his sin it appears that's what Jesus is saying. It's a hard thing to consider for a moment, right? Now listen, we, we, you say, people really think that way? Yeah, John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, they meet this man who was born blind, and the disciples ask Jesus this question, Teacher, who sinned that this man was born blind? Him or his parents? And Jesus answered what? Neither. 
He said, but this man was born this way that the glory of God might be revealed in him. So Jesus said, listen, I know everyone thinks that every disease, every sickness, everything that happens wrong to us is a result of sin. He said, it's not always the case. But in places like John chapter 5, verse 14, we hear that, guess what? He warns the man, stop sinning or something worse may happen. The indication is that sin has brought this into his life. In fact, even to the church today, you need to be warned. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 to 30, where Paul talks about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy man. He said, that's why some of you are sick and some of you have even fallen asleep. Some of you have died. There's a sense in which our sin can, by the judgment of God, bring sickness into our lives. And listen, what we know even ultimately, listen, whether this case right here specifically indicates that this man had done some sin that had brought this paralysis into his life, it seems plausible from the text. Again, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. But I think we all know that the deepest root, that the result of sin is bringing about disease and sickness into our world, right? I mean, it's, it's happened there in the garden with Adam and Eve, the sin nature. We now live in a fallen world, the curse. And so it brings disease, sickness, all of these things into our world. But I think third, it brings another, this, just this simple statement, your sins are forgiven. I had to ask, why doesn't Jesus just heal him first? And then say your sins are forgiven when maybe the guy asks, hey, would you also forgive me or something? But what Jesus is doing here in this moment is he's verifying his authority as God. Watch what happens in the text, verse 3. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. They're saying, listen, only God alone can forgive sins. Do you think you're God? Watch what happens. Jesus responding back, verse 4 of Matthew 9. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? And that's an interesting question, isn't it? Which one's easier to say? No, you've got to think, right? Our culture and their culture looks different. Think about it first for their culture. Which one's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise and walk? Well, it's easier to say in their culture, rise and walk, right? Because there's been people that have done healings. They know the prophets of old have done healings. But to say that your sins are forgiven, that's only God can do that. But when we read this text, we often probably think, well, it's easier to say, right, your sins are forgiven because who really knows that? But like, I mean, to say rise and walk, that's like something only God can do. Do you see how our cultures look different? But the clash is there nonetheless. Look what happens here. This statement, verse 6 of Matthew 9. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then says to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Now the question is, right, it's the high point of the tension, right? I mean, as you're studying text, it, it's like the moment the shot's gone off, right? The pitch has come down. It's two strikes, right? Bottom last inning, it's coming. The last kick is going. Will it go in or out? Like you're watching, you're waiting, seeing what's going to happen that last moment. Does Jesus actually have authority on earth to forgive sins? Because he's now said he's, he's going to verify that authority. And he tells this paralyzed man, rise, pick up your bed and go home and watch what happens. Verse 7 of Matthew 9. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now listen, Jesus could obviously heal the man right away, but his order creates this tension, this moment to let us wrestle, let the readers, now as Matthew writes, let us wrestle with the reality that Jesus must be God. 
Why is the tension here? Well, in John chapter 9, that healing of the blind man, after he's healed, he comes before the religious leaders and he says this statement in verse 31 of John 9. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God, sorry, I have it in the text. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So this clear statement is, is that God does not listen to sinners. I, I don't know today, but I'm assuming that if you thought someone claimed to be God, that's probably sinful. Would you agree? So the question is, if he makes that claim to forgive sins, which only God can do, then if he's a sinner, there's no way that God's going to now listen to him to say, rise, take up your mat and go home. But now when he says, rise, take up your mat and go home, and the man does it, it now verifies that what he has just said is not sinful. He is God in the flesh. Today, I compel you to worship Jesus, not simply because of his healing power, but because his healing power reveals that he is God. So let's secondly look to this. Jesus displays his authority through mercy. The text picks up now and and describes this. As Jesus passes by from there, verse 9 of Matthew 9, it says, He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he says to him, what's he say to him? Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now again, look at the text. Matthew is what? What is Matthew? He's a tax collector, right? Tax collectors were seen as traitors to Rome, right? They, they were those who now were making their living off of their own people, right? And so th- this guy right here is obviously Matthew seen as, as an absolute traitor to the Israelites, the Jewish people. But also what you have to realize is, is that Mark and Luke call him by his other name. And Matthew's other name is what? Levi. Levi is a name that's, right, so you have to understand the culture. In that culture, names were extremely significant, okay? They were symbolic, representing. Oftentimes, that's why you see names even change at certain points in the biblical history because it's so significant. The name represents, says something major about the person. And so his name is Levi, which likely indicates that he comes from the Levitical tribe of Levi, the priest, So now you have a guy who's not only a traitor to Rome, he's also a traitor to his own family lineage and to God's people. Here is this guy, right, who is the betrayer of betrayers, we might say, and this is this moment that Jesus comes to this guy and says to him, Hey, Matthew, Levi, I know you've betrayed your people. I know you betrayed your family name. I know you're seen as a traitor, as the ultimate outsider, so to speak. Matthew, I want you to come and follow me. It's this beautiful moment of mercy. Right? I mean, think about it for a moment. I mean, as God looks at your life and and sees maybe the things that you've done, the ways in which maybe today, if you were honest, maybe you've betrayed your family name, the way that your parents had raised you or your grandparents had raised you. Maybe as you look on your life, you've just stepped away from God's truth at different places in your life. And and maybe there's just things in your life that you know do not please the Lord. And today, might you hear the words of mercy and grace from the giver of life who knows your heart and your deepest thoughts and your most wicked deeds. And he says to you, follow me. In light of this, I had to ask, How might Jesus be wanting our church to display more mercy? I confess that last week, as I was right here at the end, desiring for you guys to praise the Lord, I wasn't expressing mercy. 
I've had to wrestle this week with the reality that as much as I desire to look like Jesus, I often find myself looking more like religious leaders. Do you? I mean, maybe in the midst of this difficult season, somebody's hurt you, offended you, or seemed not to care or consider your feelings or your point of view on guidelines or politics or race or economy and more. In fact, let's be honest, long before COVID-19 came along, we've had people hurting us and offending us over all kinds of things. But maybe in this moment, as you see this text, Jesus showing mercy to someone like that. Maybe God is just pushing you to say, you too need to show mercy. Maybe right now you need to forgive that person. You need to cry out to God, God, help me forgive those people or that person that have hurt or offended me. And maybe the person that you were in the bed with this morning, it's your husband, your wife. Maybe it's your parents that live down the hallway. Maybe it's church leadership. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's people of that political party. I, I don't know what it is for you. But in the midst of seeing the mercy of God, the danger is for all of us. Listen, guys, let's just be honest again. That exercising our own authority, the danger for all of us is we want to be the hall monitors of the church. And we go around recording, remembering in our minds, playing back all the ways in which this person has hurt you, offended you, done you wrong. And that's why Paul writes to a church in the midst of conflict in 1 Corinthians 13 and says, Love keeps no what? Record of wrongs. Listen to the hall monitors of Jesus' day and see if they may remind you of you. And because I, I see some of myself in them. I'll just be honest. Listen to what happens. And as Jesus reclines at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And watch the hall monitors show up. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, you can almost hear their snare. Right? Like, I mean, they think they know, like, I mean, surely if Jesus was going to eat with certain people, he'd eat with us. I mean, like, maybe some of you, even like, I don't even know what it's going to look like, but some of you, like, kiddos, you show up to the lunchroom, you hope so-and-so in your class doesn't sit next to you. It doesn't reflect the mercy that your Savior has. Why? I mean, that's the tension that's happening here. Why does your teacher eat with those people? Why does he associate with those people? Because again, some of you though, listen, some of you, you're on the opposite end and you know what it feels like to be those people. You walk in the church, you wonder, is everybody thinking about what I did then or back then? Do they remember this? Do they think about this? But listen... To the Savior, speak back to the hall monitors. Verse 12. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. And I'll separate this from the context, right? Matthew is the sick. And what about Matthew happened? Guess what? Matthew didn't come to Jesus. Jesus came to him. Do you see that? That's the beauty of the gospel today. Some of you think you'll never measure up. You'll never be good enough. And the good news is God knew that. And He sent His only Son for you. He came to you. I was recently reminded of our sickness and need of rescue. And we were out. Him and I have just been trying to spend some more time together and just time exercising. We've been out walking. We've got a new puppy. And uh, he's about six months old. And his name's Bear. And he's just fun and cool. But... On Tuesday mornings, it is a challenge to walk bare because it is trash day. 
And so we're walking bare along and the neighbor leaves out trash, right, that is not in a receptacle that's probably, it's a little less challenging for bear to get to it. And so he smells that bad boy and the next thing you know, he's like trying to get to it. And so I'm pulling the leash along with all I can and this is what bear's doing. He's doing this, coming with me like that and boom, he detours, derails and falls right off the road. I kid you not. A few hours later, I'm leaving the house, going out, and I meet two ladies in the distance who are running. I can see them running toward me. I know the ladies. And as I come closer to them, I meet a truck who's just passed them coming toward me. And this brother begins to do this in his mirror. As hard as he can, he's looking in that mirror to try to get another look at them. And when he does, he literally almost sideswipes me and runs off the road. Now, I thought in that moment, men are such dogs, right? See the imagery? Right? I mean, dogs looking back to the trash. That man was doing the same thing. Listen, I thought in the midst of both of those examples, it represents our spiritual condition. We all are attracted to some form of trash. We're all attracted to other people that aren't our spouses. We all maybe struggle with gossip or secret addiction or whatever it is for you. It will rule you, beloved. It will consume your desires, your purpose, and what your heart longs after. Yet. Yet. In the midst of that, in the midst of the longing for the next glance that will satisfy you, the next purchase that will somehow feel like it completes you in that moment, for the next promotion that you are so hungering for, for the next high that you can't wait to get, it is in that moment that Jesus shows up to Matthew and to us and says, come and follow me. Listen, it says to us, Jesus says, listen, guys, I desire to show mercy. And listen, because Jesus desires to show mercy, guess what he expects from you, his people? That you would show mercy. He desires it. I mean, he listen, he expects this of his followers. Look what it says here in the very next verse, verse 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus quoting from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And in, in Hosea, listen, the people were getting the sacrifices right, but they were failing to love God and love people. And he says, listen, man, you can get all the outward stuff right all the time. But beloved, I'm after your heart. And so he says to these religious leaders, these spiritual hall monitors, he says to them, listen, guys, you say that you love God and you worship him and maybe go to church, so to speak. But inwardly, you're failing to show mercy. Why? Why would Jesus ever show mercy to those people? Look what he says here again. Here's his argument Four. here's why he desires mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous. But who? Sinners. And listen, beloved, if you and I think that others do not deserve mercy and forgiveness, it's likely because we don't think we have that great need of it either. When we are self-righteous and we are unwilling to see our own sin, Jesus says that we are missing out on His call. Because He did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Today, beloved, if you see your sin for what it is, and a holy affront against a holy God, blessed be the name of the Lord, beloved, let that compel you to cry out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. But be terrified in this place. If you think your sin doesn't stink and you have no need of saving, but those other people in this room or out there or at your job or those people in your family, they really need Him. 
It's a dangerous place to be because he says, For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Where is he calling them to ultimately enter the kingdom? And that's his third example that Matthew gives us. Jesus displays his authority by bringing the kingdom. You need to know today that faith in the exclusivity of Christ, that, that means that you believe that Jesus is the only way to God because he's the only one who could actually reconcile you by dying for your sin on the cross. If today that you believe that the Bible is truly the word of God, I want you to know that it's going to bring you in conflict with people, with institutions, with government, with other religions, and the spiritual forces of evil, beloved. It's been that way throughout history. In his book, Joey Shaw, in his book, All Authority, Joey Shaw writes and shares about something that happened of a conflict between government and people in 1625. In 1625, Charles I took the throne of England, Scotland, and Ireland. He believed in what was called the divine right, that the king was, in a sense, he was divine, and, and so he had this power to over, overrun the church. He believed the king was above the law and above, above the people, and so he wanted to control the church. The Scottish Christians were appalled because they believed that there was one supreme leader of the church and of the world, and his name was King Jesus. Riots soon broke, broke out and there was a, a group of resistors known as the Covenanters. And in 1638, they signed this covenant declaring their allegiance to Jesus Christ alone. Soon following, a season of merciless killings unfolded until about 18,000 of the Covenanters were either died in prison or forced out of their home. The point is... Anytime there is allegiance to the Word of God and ultimately to Jesus Christ, there will be conflict. And that will happen with people, with institutions, with governments, with religions, and ultimately with spiritual forces of evil that are behind it all. But look what happens here as Jesus faces conflict and He reminds us that He's bringing the kingdom. Listen to this. Then the disciples of John, verse 14 of Matthew 9, then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus says to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So watch what happens here. They're, they're upset, right? Jesus, why are your disciples not fasting? And here, look what Jesus says. Jesus says, Listen, guys, think of the imagery of a wedding. He says, do people cry at the wedding, right, as long as the bridegroom is with them? Right? They're excited that the bridegroom has come. And now you've got to understand, right, so a lot of things, again, our cultures are clashing right here in the text. Again, we had a lot of culture clashing in this text today. You've got to understand what's happening. In the Old Testament, God the Father was constantly called the bridegroom. All right? Now in the New Testament, guess who is called the bridegroom? Who is it? It's Jesus. He's God, right? I mean, again, the text is showing you, if you've, if you've read the Old Testament, you're going to see all these markers again and again and again. Jesus is actually God in the flesh. But listen, for our culture, we don't catch what's happening, the significance here, right? In their culture, it was about the man, the groom, right? The bride was to be ready. She was to stay watchful. Her ladies were to stay watchful. At some point, maybe even in the middle of the night, the groom was going to show back up to claim his bride and take her away in the night with dancing and begin the celebration of the wedding and so jesus is saying there the groom but in our culture listen chris i love you bro i love you man but just a couple of weeks ago people were excited to see you but it was when those doors opened up and your bride came in wasn't it everybody's like oh it's on now right 
Now listen, so, so we see that, right? You've been to weddings, you know that, right? It's, it's the moment when, when the bride steps out, they're like, oh, it's on now. It's on, right? We've got, got some newlyweds up in the balcony too, right? I love you, bro, but look, look it was her, right? That's it. Come on, say amen, bro. This is, this is helping you guys. Listen, listen, though, listen. The, but this culture was different, right? The moment is waiting for the groom to show up. And Jesus is saying, listen, the groom has come, and, and now he's gone away. And we know there's coming a day, right? It may be at night, so to speak, when you're not ready, Jesus warns. He's going to come back. And he says, listen to what he says. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast. Now listen to what happens here. Some imagery, some clarity on maybe if you wonder fasting, right? Fasting is specifically a time in which maybe you deny yourself food or something that you take pleasure in that you could draw away to spend that time in prayer and seeking the Lord. Listen to what Jesus says about fasting here. Can the wedding guests mourn? Then look what he says here. And then they will fast. So fasting is in some sense a sign of mourning that you're crying out, God, may your kingdom come. I don't know about you, but do you look around the culture right now and desire for the kingdom to come? Jesus says that you will. And in fact, he expects that when you see that, you will pray and fast. He says the come will come, then they will fast. So Jesus is bringing the kingdom. That's what he's showing us, right? He has the authority. That's what Matthew's trying to help us get, that this one has authority, not only to heal people, not only to forgive sins, not only to show great mercy. He has authority to bring the kingdom. He begins the wedding march, right? It's Jesus. But look what happens here. He begins to show us now two more examples. Verse 16, he says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Jesus is speaking to them about Judaism. He says, listen, guys, you can't follow me and keep all of your old religious practices. Like you just can't add Jesus to your life. Like, oh, if he fits here, I'll add him in this area of my life, but it's not comfortable. I'll keep doing what I prefer. Jesus uses the imagery of the wineskin, right, which most of us probably don't understand. But what we, what we begin to see as we study is, is that this, 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 this hide was taken, right, from an animal. It was taken. It was cured and worked. And, and it would begin over time to be able to contain that wine. But it began to get older, brittler. So if you took and you put new wine in there that would over time begin to ferment more and begin to expand, it would literally cause that wineskin to begin to break apart and the wine would begin to seep or even pour out of it. Jesus is saying, listen, beloved, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's telling us. There's no other way to enter the kingdom. There's no other way to receive the Holy Spirit of God unless you are born again. And he's saying, listen, I have the authority and the power not only to bring the kingdom about, but to cause you to be born again. It's his authority. It's his strength. But it's also something else beautiful happening here. Jesus is saying, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Jesus is reminding you that his love for you is permanent. You see, some of you feel like God loves you more this week because you've had a better week. Maybe you didn't cuss as much, you didn't look at porn as much as you have, or maybe you didn't, I, I don't know what it is for you. Like You just feel like you, you've just done good this week. But others of you, man, you, you've just derailed off the tracks. You've treated your family. You've been a jerk to your family. You've lost it with coworkers. You've said nasty things in social media. Now listen, beloved, we need to repent. You with me? 
We need to repent. But if you are trying to live your life to think that you're going to somehow be good enough that God's going to accept you this week, you don't understand the beauty of the cross. The beauty of the cross is you are accepted in the midst of your sin. He came to Matthew. He brings the kingdom to you when you are unworthy and unable to come to Him. In fact, let's be honest, He comes to us when we don't even realize we even need Him. And He comes to bring you rescue. So, beloved, if there are things in your life that don't please the Lord, then repent. But, beloved, if you're trying to do those things so somehow now He'll love you more, you don't understand the truth of the gospel. He loves you. You're not going to earn it this week. You're not going to make Him love you more this week because you're going to do better. See, let the love that He has for you, let that be what causes you to respond, to live a life of repentance and faith. But not because you're trying to earn it. Maybe we might ask in this, if, if Jesus is given such authority to forgive sins and to show mercy and to bring the kingdom and, and send the Spirit, right, as He's talking about there with new wine, and, and we love and cherish that. I mean, like, man, that's good news then do we also love and cherish the authority He expresses in other ways? It's in Matthew chapter 28, right, where it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Look what He says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all people, right, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Today, listen, if you respond to His authority to forgive sins and you love and cherish that today, do you love and cherish just as much His authority and call for you to go and to make disciples? How are you doing it? Listen, I love our programs and our ministry here, but if you're relying upon programs and ministries, then you've spent about four or five months of not ministering to people. Again, I, I praise God for all the ministries that we've had a part of that we're getting to do. But, beloved, if you are relying upon the ministry of the church to do your ultimate witnessing, you are missing out on what God has called you as a disciple. Because it's not just contained to a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or whenever. Discipleship is our lives, beloved. We are to be witnesses everywhere. There are opportunities every day right now. In the midst of this season, God is going to use you to share the gospel. Why? Because He has all authority. Today, how is God calling you to go? How do you respond to a king who has all authority? Francis Havergal in 1874 had gone to visit this family. There was about 10 people there. And she soon noticed that there were some Christians there who didn't have much joy. And there were many others there who were just not believers. And she began to pray this prayer. Lord, give me all in this house. The last night came and there were still two young ladies that had not responded and she was there in her room praying asking god to do the work and there came a knock at her door and these two girls weeping began to say we desire to repent and believe francis havergill writes there that night she said she could not sleep and so she began to write these words take my life and let it be consecrated lord to thee take my moments and my days let them flow in endless praise let them flow in endless praise. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thy own. It shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne. 
Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Ever only all for thee. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that our hearts would be ever only all for Thee because of Your great mercy and Your authority to forgive sins and to bring healing and to bring the kingdom. Father, I pray today that You would stir hearts and minds. I pray for the Matthews in this crowd who feel unworthy, too dirty. I pray, God, now that You would let them see that it's You that makes us worthy. We're all too dirty. Father, please show us. Father, I pray for those in this room who keep records of wrongs. God, I pray right now that you would move our hearts to forgive one another, to seek first your forgiveness because ultimately it's against you that we sin. And then I pray for reconciliation of marriages, of families, of churches, of communities, of nations. Lord, what we're praying is thy kingdom come, Lord. We are praying, longing, Father, please send your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.